You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the True University podcast, where the truest thing about you is what God says about you. My name is Steve Eden, and I have a very special guest with me today. I've known him for almost a year, Michael Ferris. It's good to have you, Michael. It's good to be here, Steve. So we were talking a little bit before we came on. I think that's about right. We've known each other not quite a year. Right. And you've been uh, at Hera Church. Of course, I'm at Grace Church. But our churches have done some things together, especially in the way of discipleship. And that's kind of how how we met back in the day. Yes, sir. Okay. So tell tell everybody listening a little bit about your journey uh, in Christ, how you landed at Hera Church, and what you do there. Okay. Um, so, man, I'm, I'm your typical American um, believer, I would say. Um, I grew up. Grew up in church. My parents started taking me to a uh, Pentecostal holiness church at a young age. Okay. And um, which is always kind of interesting. Some people are kind of like, well, what was that like? But yeah. it was more, it was, it was, how do I say this? It wasn't like any other Pentecostal church I've ever been to. Okay. They were more, they would lean more kind of on the Southern Baptist side okay. of things. And so went there at a very early age and Hellfire and Brimstones was preached mm-hmm. every Sunday morning. And I remember, I don't remember the actual, the teach that he was giving that morning, but he began to preach, I think about accepting Jesus into your heart. Mm. And I went up front, I was about, I want to say maybe eight years old, went up front and they prayed for me. They're like, okay, it's time for you to be baptized. Well, I didn't really understand what that meant. Right. Didn't, had no clue. And so I'm like, okay. And they're like, when do you want to be baptized? And I'm like, oh, I'd like to be baptized on Easter Sunday. Cause I think that would be cool. You know, it's okay. when Jesus you know, rose from the dead. Yeah. And they're like, right on, let's, let's make it happen. And again, no one really explained to me why you should be baptized. Right. And so the truth is I was baptized, I would say probably because it's something I thought I was supposed to do. Like, hey, okay, I went up front, I prayed, boxes right. checked. All um, the people said, when do you want to get baptized? Right. So, yeah. You know, and it's like, hey, this is going to be a cool, exciting day. You're going to get wet and we're going to celebrate you and it's going to be awesome. And so as a nine-year-old kid, I'm like, all right, cool, let's let's do it. And so Progressing forward, we were attending that church. I was part of the youth program there. A man named Steve Savage, he had passed away. He was the head of the youth program, which he was a good man. Um, again, he was a hellfire and brimstone kind of pastor, and there would be okay. times on Wednesday nights during youth, me and him would just get in some heated debates about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and, okay. and things like this. And so um, his opinion, if you read any of those books, you're going to hell. Yeah, even Lord and of the Rings, though. Even huh? Lord of the Rings, yeah. Because, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien is who wrote Lord of the Rings. Great right. friends with... Um, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, yep. yeah. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, which is a... Um, was it Anagram? Is that right. how you say it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Of, of Jesus. <laughs> and um, and I same thing, too. Now, like now, knowing like where my journey is with the Lord and being in the Word way more often daily, watching Lord of the Rings or reading the books, mm-hmm. really more watching the movies, introducing my kids to him. You, there's Jesus is all throughout. Right, absolutely. Like you see it. And so... Matt, progressing forward, I became your typical teenage boy. Uh, my interest was less things of the church and more, hey, there's a pretty girl in that pew over there. Right. Gotcha. And um, begin to kind of chase after girls and was wrestling and partying, partying, 
partying, uh-huh. all, all these things. Where were you going to school? I went to McLeod High School. McLeod, McLeod okay. I went Oklahoma. to Harris, so we were like rivals. We were rivals. I think by <laughs> I think by then they quit letting us play sports because you guys <laughs> got a little carried away and burning football fields down or something uh, crazy. I see. Yeah, that's the story yeah. that I was always told. What what we always were told was that you guys threw paint on our Panther. You know, at the football stadium at Harris, there's this giant Panther painted in the north end zone on the concrete yeah. wall. And so then we there'd be red paint and everybody be up in arms and I never really got into to that much. Yeah, we by then we were I was actually running around with a bunch of people from Hera that I got time. You. So anyway, we um my mom, her best friend from high school, her dad was a uh, pastor and he started a non-denomination church up okay. in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And so we started to go to that. And I was interested because there's some pretty girls in Shawnee. And so, you know, my mom's taking me to church and there's some pretty girls in the youth program. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. And um, started making friends. And the youth leader, Shelly, which was my mom's best friend at the time, she, um, man, she did a really good job of at a young age kind of getting us in the word. Okay. And having us um, not just teaching us the things of the Lord, but really like ra- rising up the royal priesthood, like equipping mm. the saints for the work of ministry. Now, yeah. like at the time I had no clue what she was doing. Yeah. But now looking back, I totally see what she was doing. And, but again, my interest wasn't really about that. Right. And yeah. so uh, my dad at the age of 15, my dad got prostate cancer. And so I was in my bedroom. Um, I think I was playing a video game, watching a TV show. He comes in, he's like, I need to talk to you. I have cancer. And I remember getting really hurt and angry with the Lord. Mm hmm. And so I'm like, how, like, how dare you try to take my father from me? Yeah. And so this anger just continued to build up and I just pulled away, completely pulled away. Um, totally prodigal son moment. Yeah. And just started chasing the things of the world. My dad through this process, we're still kind of going to that church. And one day the pastor asked, Hey, can I pray over you? And, um, everyone lays their hands. There's 14 people in the congregation that day and they lay their hands, my father, and they begin to pray for him. He begins to weep. And he said it felt like electricity was going through his body, like little, little tiny shocks. Wow. And so my dad, he's the kind of guy, um, man, like I swear they, like they, they broke the mold after he was made, right? Like he is your typical hardcore cowboy. I grew up on a horse ranch. I mean, he's your man, man, Mm -hmm. just naturally strong, lifting hay bales and feeding horses all day and just wrangling horses and all these things. And so to see this man cry the way I saw him cry really kind of, you know, um, shocked me. And I remember asking him out on the way home, like, what, like, what happened? Yeah. And he was like, and man, he's like, it just kind of felt like these little pulses of electricity yeah. going through my, my body. And so he goes in to have his prostate removed. They removed his prostate. They find no sign of cancer. Hmm. And so I saw this this miraculous thing mm-hmm. at a young age of the Lord healing my father. And so you would think my story would be like, okay, Lord, like I, you know. Yeah, give no. my whole life to you. Right. No, my, I gave my whole life to the world. <laughs> and so, which I think is kind of typically we do. We want to we want to put our blames on the Lord or, mm-hmm. you know, but the truth is it's like it's us choosing. Yeah, sin, absolutely. You know, and yeah. so. And so, man, I just went crazy just partying and, and having a great time. I met my wife, Lauren Ferris. Um, actually, she hates it when I tell this story, but I actually met her in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, my my normal uh, hangout, not hers. It was her first time there. And I remember seeing her. She was there with a the girl I went to high school with. So I'm already graduated high school. I went to A&P school to work on airplanes. Now I'm mm-hmm. at Tinker Air Force Base. Um, I was hanging out with a guy. And um, he was older than me, and he was taking me to clubs and stuff like that. So I see her, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that girl is 
gorgeous. And mm-hmm. so I asked the girl I went to high school with, like, who is that? And she's like, it's my friend Lauren. And I'm like, will you introduce me? And she's like, yeah, I'll introduce you. And so she introduces us and I ask her if she wants to dance. And she's like, I'm, yeah. And so we go on the dance floor and she's like, listen, I'm not one of these club girls. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, the way people are dancing in here, that's not who I am. I'm yeah. not going to dance like that. And so we end up just acting like two goofballs and have a great time. Yeah. Um, she sees the car I'm driving and she's like, oh, I like this guy. And so at the time I was driving a Suzuki Reno hatchback, which is not a cool car. Yeah. It's a really kind of dorky kind of vehicle. Right. The reason why that grabbed her attention is because she can she like her words. I couldn't stand guys who were into their vehicles because huh. they put all their time into their vehicles oh, gotcha. and not, you know, not into the relationship. relationship. And so she's like, wow, like this is a dorky car and I drive a dorky car and you know, he's a fun guy to be around. So we just started to hang out and we started to date. Um, next thing I know we get married mm-hmm. and so everything's going well, but I'm, I'm not following the Lord. And so just like your typical American man, not following the Lord, or really any man yeah. not following the Lord. I'm not really, I'm not really pursuing things of the kingdom. Is Lauren following the Lord at all? So Lauren grew up Catholic. Okay. And so, um, she had a very, um, extreme Jesus experience at a young age. Okay. She was going through some things and her, and her family was going through some stuff and it, she kind of spiraled into a deep depression. Yeah. And one night she was praying to the Lord and she literally felt the hands of the Lord come. And she had this picture of him reaching down in this, this black abyss of depression and pulling her out of that depression. Wow. That's fantastic. So she had this, like when, when Lauren hears the voice of the Lord, and fills his presence. There's no doubt in her mind because she had such this yeah. this impactful experience at a young age. She knows when the Lord is speaking yeah. to her. She knows when it's his presence. He mm-hmm. made it very clear that was me that day that yeah. saved that pulled her out of that depression. And so she grew up Catholic, and um, she she wanted to go to church. She would beg me to go to church. I I grew up. I knew how to speak Christianese. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew more Bible stories than her. Oh, and I knew okay. all these things. And, and so, but I was very well versed in Christianese. I knew what to say, how to say it. Right. Um, and so she would kind of like, Hey, let's go to church. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to go to church. So she would go, to, she would go to church with her mom, Catholic church. Oh, gotcha. And so from there, what began to happen is the Lord, we kind of begin to do some things in me. And, uh, one of my, a good friend of mine, he came to work one day. I was working at Tinker. She metal mechanic. He came to work and he was just kind of like, goofball kind of guy is always messing around. He's like, Hey, have you seen this thing about Joseph Coney? This is during 2012. And so Joseph Coney was a, um, he was in the Congo and he led a thing called the liberation. I think the Lord's resistance army is what he led. And so he was the guy who really capitalized on children's soldiers. Okay. So they would come in, they would, um, kill the mom and dad. They would for, really a lot. Most of the time is they would hold the children at gunpoint and, they would hold like their little sibling at gunpoint and they would force the older sibling to kill the mother or the father. And that was the first way they would start jacking with their identity. Gotcha. And from there they would get them hooked on drugs and then just completely just brainwash them and get them hooked on drugs. Mm. And then they would put an AK 47 in their hand and they would fight the government. And so, and he just would build these child armies. Yeah. And so this video, this guy was, it's called Coney 2012 they came out and they were trying to make people aware of it. And so my buddy had watched it and he just rocked them. And I'm like, and honestly, I was kind of more, again, I'm still living for the world. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, have you seen this? Like, I'm, I haven't watched that crap. Cause everyone's sharing on Facebook. Excuse yeah. my language, but everyone's yeah. sharing on Facebook. I'm like, ah, it's one of those things people are just getting caught up in. He's like, no, you need to go watch it. So I go home, I pull it up 
and I lose it. Like mm. I weep because I'm watching these kids who are, and I, at this time I had a daughter who was two and I'm okay. watching these kids at the age of two to three get taken from their homes, the age of eight forced to kill their families, nine years old. They're, they are professional killers, mm. right? And they escape and they're just talking about the things they went through. And so, man, it just rocked me. And so I, I end up donating to the Coney 2012, but deep down, like that's not enough. What else can I do? But I had no clue what else to do. So about a month later, I find myself in Target. My daughter was sick. And so I stayed home, was taking care of her. And I'm at Target to get, um, pick up some medication for her. And there's this book called Another Man's War, um, The True Story of Machine Gun Preacher. Seems, um, I think it's Sam Childers. Okay. And so I read, I, I pick up the book. And I'm like, well, I'm reading another book. And I'm one of those guys, like if I'm reading in the process of reading a book and I pick up another book, I won't finish the book I'm reading. So I, I set it down on leave and I come back. I just can't get that book off my mind. I come back later and it's gone. It's not off the shelves. I mean, and I'm talking about there was a shelf full of these books and now they're just gone. And I'm like, it's only been a week. Yeah. And so I'm looking everywhere and I ask them, hey, there was this book up here called Another Man's War. Um, the True Story of Machine Gun Preacher. Where is it at? So they go. They and they go in the back and they're gone for like 15 minutes. And I'm about to leave and something just tells me to stay. They bring the book out. I go home and I read it in like a day, pretty much like two days. Yeah. I can't put it down. At the very end of it, there is a prayer about asking like the sinner's repair prayer, right? Asking mm-hmm. the Lord back into your heart. And so I, I say the prayer. And I'm like, all right, Lord, like, what do you want from me? Oh, and I hear Africa. I and so I'm like, okay. And so I start telling people, I think the Lord wants me to go to Africa everybody thinks I'm crazy. My friends think I'm crazy. My family (laughs) thinks I'm crazy. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Yeah. And so we kind of get into a heated discussion about it. And she's like, I'll tell you what, like, how about we just start with church first? And so at the time we were part of a running club called the Hera church running club. Okay. But you didn't have to go to church to be part of the running club. Mm -hmm. And so I met Kevin Daniels, who was the lead pastor at the time. And what I liked about Kevin, he didn't try to get me to go to church. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I grew up again. You missed Sunday morning. Um, like, right. you know, I grew up on a horse ranch. So I remember like if you missed Sunday morning, either Sunday night or Monday night, I would see the pastor's car coming down our long driveway. Oh, I see. And they, would, and they would knock on the door. Why weren't you there? Yeah. You know? And so, so I thought that was kind of cool. And, and she's like, what about Herod church? Would you be willing to try it out? And I said, I'd be willing to try it out. Yeah. So we both agree to go. And so the Sunday morning we're driving there. And I'm kind of frustrated with her because I'm talking about, I, I, Lord, I think the Lord wants me to go to Africa. And she's like, and she's kind of pushing back. And we get yeah. into this argument. She's like, I tell you what. And I'm like, you don't believe me. And she's like, I'll tell you what. I'll believe you if the first thing out of their mouth when we get there is mission trips to Uganda. I never said anything about Uganda. Really? She said, just Africa. She yeah. just picked that one. So we get there and they hand out the little um, morning brochure. Mm-hmm. And in it is mission trips to Uganda. Wow. We walk in. Kevin Daniel gets gets on stage and he says, before I say a word, I'm going to have Richard Manlove come up here and talk about mission trips to Uganda. So I go <laughs> sign up immediately. Right. Her jaw drops like what is happening? Um, I sign up immediately. And I go on this trip, mission trip to Uganda. I get plugged into Herod Church. I had a really good knack of putting on um, 5K runs, golf tournaments. So they started to ask these things of me. Yeah. But no one was teaching me how to abide in the Lord. John mm-hmm. 15, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. You will produce fruit. And so naturally after about a year. Right. I'm plugged in. Yeah. Um, I'm white hot. Right. Or I'm hot for Jesus. Yeah. I'm on a fire for Jesus. Um, I get plugged in. Naturally, no one teaches me how to abide. And naturally, I fall off quickly. Okay. Right. I burn out. At the same time, I had a 
really good close friend of mine. His name was Chris Hall, and um, he was my mentor at Tinker. And so Chris taught me everything sheet metal wise. And so like he really um, taught me how to take pride in my work and that our job matters because these men who fight for our country get on these planes. Okay. And if we don't do a good job, we're, we're like we're putting their lives in danger and really kind of taught that to me and showed me how to do things sheet metal wise and tricks of the trade. And not only did he do that, but we would also paintball together and we would um, fish together and he was 50. And so just really be kind of that, that mentorship kind of, you know, relationship yeah. begin to build. And it was someone I, I looked up to. And so one day we go fishing um, and we'd go fish crappie fishing in Arbuckle Lake at nighttime. We go. And so it was me, him and, and another buddy of mine. And so we go and we had a great time. And Chris was always funny. He was one of those guys like when he would get mad, he would get mad. Mm-hmm. And if he went to a restaurant, they said, hey, in 20 minutes, we'll sit, seat you down. Right. And, and it had been 21 minutes. He would get mad and leave and he would never go back. Wow. And so we'd always joke, right? Because he's we're like, Hey, we're going to go out to lunch. Yeah. And like, Oh, where you guys going to go? Rib crib. Oh, I go there. <laughs> you know, it's just silly stuff. And like, right. I was like, Cause one any, time, right. Is there anywhere we can ago, go? Right. Yeah. I got you. And it's like, so it's like, is there anywhere we can go that you're, we'd willing to eat? At? And he's like, mm. and of course really there's not. So then he, and he's <laughs> like, no all right, I'll now. go, I'll go. Yeah. So, um, and so we just go and we have a good time. We laugh and, and cut it up. And so his allergies started to bother him. And so from that night, we, we go home and a couple, a week goes by and they just get worse. Okay. And we go by again and they just get worse. And he's convinced his allergies. He's just, now I must have a sinus infection. And it gets to the point to one day at work, he collapses and they have to carry him out. Mm-hmm. He goes to the doctor and he gets diagnosed with leukemia on a Friday. So that following Tuesday, he dies. You are kidding me. No. Wow. So I get to, I got to have a really good phone conversation with him the night before, huh. um, expressing how much I love him, how much I care for him and vice versa. Yeah. And so I go, I'm, um, Hey, I'm coming up there to visit you yeah. um, Tuesday when I get off work. So right when I get off work, me and my buddy go up there, I step off the elevator and they're waiting for me. Yeah. And they said, are you here to see, Chris? are you Mike Ferris? And I said, yes. And they said, Chris just died. Hmm. And so the guy I was with, he loses it. And so my, I'm wired shepherd shepherd kicks in. Right. Yeah. I shepherd him. I go into work the next day. No one knows. And so I end up shepherding everybody through this, uh-huh. um, just bottling down the grief. The, I go out to dinner probably two days later with my wife and I, I can't shake this anxiety, this feeling. I don't, I just, I'm like, I need to get out of this restaurant. I need to go home. I go home, take a shower. I get out of the shower and I break down and realize I'll never see him again. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only time that I broke down. I balled it up, you know, um, trying to be a tough guy. Right. And not realizing that I was eating me alive. And so I start going down a bad path. Um, okay. I start hanging out with guys that I shouldn't be really hanging out with. I start drinking, um, start partying again. I'm leaving my wife and my, my baby girl at home. I'm hanging out at strip clubs. Mm-hmm. I'm doing like, I'm just, I'm staying all hours out all night are you, long. Are you blaming the Lord at this point? What do you think you were um, processing there? No, not really. At this point, I would say I'm, I'm probably more on all pathways lead to heaven kind of thinking. Oh, okay. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist. We're all, doesn't matter. Yep, we're all good. <laughs> we're all going to go to heaven. Um, uh, you know, 
if you murder somebody, maybe you need to think about that kind yeah. of thing. You know, gotcha. um, like Hitler's probably not in heaven, but you know, right. I'm good. Yeah. Kinda, that's kind of like where my mindset kind of was. And, and the truth is I really even wrestled with whether the God in the Bible was the, sure. like, I believe there was a creator of all things, mm-hmm. but my, I would, I probably at that time I would have told you like, yeah, I think we've, I think everybody has their own understanding of this creator, but there's, there's definitely something there. And that's why I believe always lead to heaven. Right. Yeah. If you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. Well, now, right. I mean, you if you know? watch Oprah, man, she told us for years, that's the way it was. Well, right. <laughs> and so I was kind of, I had this universalist mindset. And so, um, very spirit, like I was really into like, you know, I love to hear stuff about, I loved conspiracy theories and ghosts and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, I, I'm a young guy. I thought I had it all figured out, you know? And so that's probably where I was at. And what about Lauren? Is she all right with you at the strip clubs and such? Or were you she hiding had no, that from her? I was hiding it. Okay. I was hiding it. I was doing a good job of I it. I see. Um, I was hiding that side of it, but the same side, like I was beginning to become a harder person to be around. Yeah. I was breaking things. Our marriage was not well. We're arguing all the time. Mm-hmm. I was constantly angry. Um, the guilt of what I was doing, you know, at the time I didn't realize it, but it's just yeah. like when you're, when you feel guilty for something and you really don't understand what you're experiencing, like you be kind of become angry and begin to lash out. Mm-hmm. And so really for her end of the deal was like walking on eggshells all the time. She never knew when I was going to blow up. She didn't know what was going to set me off. Um, you know, she, her mindset was, I never wanted to be home. If I was working overtime, it's cause I didn't want to be home. And then when I was sure, home, I'm gotcha. not hanging out with guys. And so her mindset is like, it's just me and this kid and I'm raising this kid on my own, yep. kinda, you know? And when Michael's here, he's great. But when he's not like, but the majority of the time I wasn't there. I gotcha. And so from there, I, um, you know, and I also would sound probably on the outside and on Facebook, our marriage looked perfect, yeah. you know, to friends and family, it looked perfect. Knowing now, looking back now, I know it was nowhere near perfect. Oh, yeah. It was all it was all fake. And so what happens is I'm hanging out at the strip clubs. I end up having an affair on my wife. Mm-hmm. And um, the guilt from that made me so sick that I was sick for 30 days straight. Um, could not leave the bathroom. That's all I kind of all give the details. That's the wow. only details I'll give. How I, about that? And a guy that. Physically sick. Physically sick. Physically sick. And a buddy of mine at the time who was kind of used to this lifestyle um, was like, Michael, this lifestyle is like, I think it's literally killing you. You got to stop living like this. Right. And, um, man, I kind of like, I, I, I listened to him. And so I stopped and I'm like, I need to become a better father. I need to be a better husband. And I started to try to do those things. Now, let me ask you this question. Is the guy who says to you, Michael, I don't think this lifestyle is good or healthy for you. Does he know the Lord? No. Okay. Now I find that fascinating. Right. But it makes my point that even lost man has the inkling, the understanding of our wiring. Right. You know, uh, that that there really is a way that is written into us. I always like John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. And I felt like he was saying, Steve, I'm not just the way to heaven. I'm the way you're designed to live. I'm the truth about you. Yeah. I'm the life to be expressed through your mortal body. And when we kick against the goads, if I can borrow that term with Jesus and Paul, (laughs) why are you living life against itself? It's fascinating that this guy's your friend enough to recognize, uh, dude, this is, this is not working for you. Right. Yeah. Well, it's what the, it's what the word would say in Romans too, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteousness surpass the surpass, surpass the truth. Sorry Mm -hmm. for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them 
for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, right. have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. If you keep reading on, it talks about how they exchanged the truth for a lie yeah. and begin to worship the creation over the creator, right? But it yeah. says it. Like right here, it's saying like all creation, right? Like points to my existence. So he's saying like no man, that day you stand before me, like you're without excuse, mm-hmm. which means off like taking the offer of salvation. So whether you're like, well, I didn't believe in you the whole entire time I walked the earth. God's like, bro, everything pointed to me. Like deep Absolutely, down, right? Right? Like, and he's talking about Paul's talking about the Gentiles here in the Romans was like mm-hmm. deep down they know what's right and what's yeah. wrong, and he's saying God, that's God. God's revealed in creation. He's revealed in the sky. Uh, even Matthew twenty two, you know, he's like, show me the coin. They're they're right. trying to trick him. He said, well, whose image is on the coin? They said Caesar's. He said, well, then render to Caesar what has Caesar's image on it. But whatever has God's image on it, this is the other half of that, has to be rendered to God. Right. Well, all of us are made in God's image. Whether you've received Jesus Christ into your heart or not, you are marked for him. You are made for him. And everything else is going to be uphill. You know, you stay in it long enough, you're going to discover it's going to be death and not life to you. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And... And so, man, I, from there, I began to try to live this life the best I could. Mm-hmm. Was doing poorly at it. At the time, I was training in martial arts. Yeah. And I began to um, to pray. So come November from that, and I can't remember. So probably I would say November 2016, I pray. Like, Lord, like, I have no idea how to follow you. Right. Um, the Lord continues, like, just to kind of make the story a little bit quicker. He's he's revealing, so the year 2016, the Lord's revealing things to me. He's like, you hear my voice. Like, he's these conspiracy theories that I chase down, like at the end of the day, they point back to Jesus, no matter how deep you go. Like that was where I was started to see mm-hmm. and, or there's some kind of reference of the word in, in them, you know? And yeah. so it was this common thread. I begin to see in the reality around me was Jesus. And so November, 2016, I cry out to the Lord. Like I have no idea how to follow you. Right. Like I am, I am sucking as a father. Now I have a newborn son. But you've been trying, right? Right. You were trying. trying. Your your story sounds so similar (laughs) to mine. You know, at 13, I invite Jesus into my heart. I had a good friend that in middle school came back to school way different in the eighth grade. He was different and he loved Jesus. And I love that. he, he, He was. He was part of the popular crowd. Uh, he didn't care what anybody thought about him or said about him. And I remember asking my mom, like, uh, how, how do you get your sins forgiven? You know, I'd grown up in the Methodist church, but we never had an altar call or any invitation to follow Jesus. So uh, she told me, well, you invite Jesus into your heart, those kind of things. So I do that yeah. at age 13. But Michael, I spent seven straight years trying to get good enough for him to either save me, love me, accept me, any of those things. And my heart was good. I was trying. That's what's similar. Yeah. It's like, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I keep trying to do it, but I feel like I'm doing it for you instead of with you. Right. And here comes, you know, here comes the power, the relationship, the abiding, all right. those things. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I pray that out. And um, about probably 2017, um, we went through, so Harry Church at the time had gone through, Kevin Daniels had stepped down. He was walking out his obedience to the Lord and that. The Lord had said, hey, it's time for you to kind of step down. I have something else planned for Harry Church. So he stepped down, <laughs> listened to the voice of the Lord. And 
we went through kind of like this this what we kind of call the dark ages where we didn't have a lead pastor we yeah. had a pastor search team a lot of people begin to leave mm-hmm. um not knowing the full why kevin which i believe kevin told them that they just they couldn't comprehend it yeah and um so a lot of people begin to leave and me and my wife talked about leaving but yet something told us to stay yeah and so we stayed then we at the time had a coffee roasting business called crown coffee, me and my wife and um, uh, my, one of my good friends, Christopher Sims. And so they were kind of, they, they found a new guy and they're bringing him down. Like, Hey, he's moving from Kansas city to Harry church. He's the new lead guy. And we're going to put a uh, gift basket together for him. Yeah. And they came to me and said, Michael, would you donate some coffee to it? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to donate coffee to it. And so I decided to donate a pound. Like they're like, will you donate a pound of coffee? Like, yep, yeah, I'll donate a pound of coffee. Yeah. We missed the first Sunday he's there. I forget, I don't know why. And so, but someone shares it on Facebook and I've never heard someone preach the word like this. Yeah. And I'm like, like, what is this? Hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like when I've heard people preach, it was a lot of, um, let me give you my experiences. Let me give you what I think it says. Right. Mm-hmm. But not actually the word or ever would break it down to the original like Greek translation. Like, yeah. what does this word actually mean? And it just blew my mind. And so we go back and they already gave him the gift basket. So I have this pound of coffee. I'm like, oh, I missed. And so they're like, you can just hand it to him. Yeah. And so I go up to him and I hand it to him and he takes it and he, he says, would, can I get your number? And I said, yeah, you can get my number. So I give him my, uh, give him my number. He instantly texts me like right there on the spot. Right. And so he gets up and he begins to preach and it's the first time the word was ever preached that I began to weep. And what he preached was, um, it's when John is prophesying and Jesus comes along and it's a John chapter I'm in the beginning of John and Jesus comes along. And he says, behold, the lamb of God who comes and takes away the sins of the world. And it was the first time that the realization came over me that Jesus knew what he was doing. See, I was told that the Jews killed Jesus and right? oh, he was murdered. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yes, he died for our sins, but it was the first time that I realized like he knew right. he was going to die for our sins. Like he came with a mission. He came with a purpose and he well, knew yeah. he was going to lay his life down. Right? He even said, no one takes my life from me. Right. I give it willingly. Right. Yeah. And see, and so I didn't know those things. And the minute the word hit me, like it rocked me. Mm-hmm. Like my heart became fully open to it. And I remember weeping and I remember going to work the next day and um, weeping and sharing with a friend named Mike Morris. And so And and what were you sharing with him? What is it that really wrenched your heart? It's because how could he do that? How could he know? Is this love, Lord, that's causing you to do this? Tell me. It was this yeah. it was the fact that he he came knowing that he was gonna minister for three years and he came knowing he was gonna lay his life down for our sins and gotcha. and the and how the trials and tribulation he was going to walk through in that hmm. and that he came willing to do it. Yeah. And that spoke probably spoke great love to you. Oh yeah, yeah. it did. It just, it blew, it blew me away going like he knew, like he knew, like it, it wasn't like, it wasn't this, yeah. uh, he had no clue. And then it happened and it was like, Oh, it sucks to be in this moment. It was, and it was, I think what really, I'll tell you what it was. Amen. It was the weight Yeah, that I, I, my heart actually hurt for Jesus because I yeah. sat there and was like, for three years, he carried this weight. Yeah. Knowing mm-hmm. what was going to happen. Like, and when he says like, Lord, like not my will, like if your will, let this cup pass, but not my will, your will be done. Right. Like I be, I understood yeah. why 
Mm. He prayed that because there is this way, like he knew yeah. what he was going to go through right. in this process. So if but there's yet, some of the way. Right. Tell and, but me yet now. He, he never took a step backwards. Yeah. He took a step forward. That reminds me of Stacy, you know, growing up, uh, well, at least her last 20 plus years being married to a pastor and always having the realization until a year and a half ago where Jesus encountered her, much like you described Lauren in uh, our closet at my house. But she believed that, of course, Jesus died for everybody. Jesus is God. He loves everybody. He's supposed to do that. But what what he spoke to her that day, one of many things in the closet he revealed to her was, I did this for you. Yeah, This is just for you. And this was my choice. You know, um, yes, he is God in the flesh, but he made the choice to choose to die for Stacy. Right. And that wrecked her. I mean, yeah. that just rocked her world. So that was, I was reminded of that as you're testifying of his great love. Yeah. yeah. It's it's and it was it's very similar. And so um it was Chris Moinks was the was the guy they brought down from yeah. Kansas mm-hmm. City, the new head guy of HC and so he from there I messaged him. Um his wife had cancer and and so uh, my uncle at the time, he worked for uh, OU Medical. And so I was like, hey, maybe he can like help you guys out or, you know, help you um, recommend a good doctor there or so you know, when, a program. When Chris and Rachel came, she, Rachel had already been diagnosed. Right. She'd already been diagnosed. How she'd about been, that? I think she'd been battling it for a couple of years, honestly. I see. And when she, when they came. And so um, he said, hey, would you like to have lunch? And I knew it's funny because I remember going, my wife was actually in the shower. I remember going into the bathroom saying, he just asked me to lunch. And I was like, what do you think about that? She's like, I think you should do it. Yeah. And I was like, I have a feeling that if I go the lunch with this man, my life's going to (laughs) change. And my wife said, yeah, I think you should do it. Yeah. And so we go to have lunch and he begins to tell me how I'm wired. Little did I know that he's, um, he's walking, he's pretty much reading to me the APES found in Ephesians four. Mm hmm. And he's telling me how I've been wired my whole entire life. And I'm like, how do you know this? And he shows me Ephesians 4. And from there, he he looks to me and says, there is a target on your back. And I usually don't do this. But I'm inviting men into my life to follow me as I follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. To teach them how to sit in the words of Jesus. To teach them how to walk in the ways of Jesus. And to teach them how to do the works of Jesus. And usually I have a couple lunches before I do this, but like, would yeah. you be willing to follow me and join me? Yeah. And so back to November, 2016, the prayer that I prayed was Lord, like send me a sensei who can teach me how to follow you. Just like I have one teaching ah, me how to do martial arts. Yes. And so I'm sitting across from him and I'm like, and for the first time ever, it felt like I was underwater my yeah. whole entire life. And all of a sudden I wasn't anymore. Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> yes. And he's like, well, I want you to pray about it. I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but yes. And he's like, well, go, go sit with it. And think about it and pray about it. I'm like, all right, but it's yes, you know. <laughs> and so That's awesome. Um, I go home, he gives me a start date. And at the time, I was really training to get back and doing jiu-jitsu tournaments. And the times we train are Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And so he's like, Hey, we meet on Tuesday nights at six, six o'clock. And I'm like, Oh, well, I have jujitsu. And he's like, I'm asking for one night of your life. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck? And so <laughs> I go on this, I go on this camping trip and I'm just like wrestling with it the whole camping trip. And I remember there was a part I was fishing the last day I was fishing in, in this, uh, in the river and, uh, broken bow, Oklahoma. And I'm fishing 
And this song by Sean McDonald called I Will Rise was just playing over my head over and over and over and over. And it's pretty much he's just singing a song about the Lord, like out of the ashes I'll rise. And it's all like, because he is greater than in me, right? Mm-hmm. The lyrics of the song. And I'm like, I think I'm going to do this thing. And so Monday night I'm mowing the yard. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do this thing. I don't think I'm going to go. Right. And, and I've always, How about that? yeah. And so I have this kind of like, I'm not going to give in to fear kind of mentality. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I'm why, why not? Like, why is, why do I not want to go? Well, I'm kind of afraid. No, we're not giving in to fear. Like you made a promise to yourself a long time ago. You wouldn't give in to fear. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, that's fair. I'll go. And so I show up and I'm getting out of the car and I'm seeing like, um, guys like Dustin Murray walk in David Brockman, who I've seen these men teach from the stage. Um, Roland LaChance, who was a, a deacon, Mark Crer, who was a deacon. I didn't really know Jeff Plunkett at the time or James Thomas. Um, I knew Travis. And so I'm seeing these guys walk in and I'm like, I'm underdressed. Like, I feel like I was walking to a tuxedo party and I was in pajamas. Exactly. Like, to be with you. I'm like, I'm like, you, you invited the wrong guy. You're like a wiener at a steakhouse. Right. Exactly. <laughs> still gotcha. am. I still am. And so I kind of walk in going, I'm not supposed to be like, right. you, like you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. Cause I'm the guy that comes in. Like I come in when the lights go out. Like when they dim the lights, yeah. me and Lauren would come in, sit in the back row. And before the lights came on, we'd leave. You wow, know? this is powerful. Yeah and, yeah, and so I'm like, I'm not meant to be here. And so we're there, and Chris begins to teach. And the first thing he begins to challenge us on is um, to abide. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is abiding? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you mean abide? And so he opens the book up to John 15. He begins to read John 15, 1 through 17 to us. And, you know, verse 5 says, like, like um, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are right? the branches. You are right? the branches. Whoever abides in me will produce fruit, but apart from me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. And he's like, I'm, I'm challenging you guys to go abide. So I go home. I have a John MacArthur study Bible that I had bought that was collecting dust. Mm-hmm. Pulled off the shelf. I open up to the back of it and I begin to look everywhere it talks about abiding because I grew up in the church and no one ever talked about abiding. Yeah. So I'm like, what is this? And he, and he did explain to us it means to remain. It means to dwell, spend time with. Mm-hmm. And so I go home and I start reading every verse from the Old Testament to the New that talks about abiding. And I find John 8, 31, 32. Ah, uh, yes. And I always heard people say all the time, like the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth yeah. will set you free. They forgot the first they part. They forgot the first part, <laughs> right? They forgot the first part. And you know me just for the, like the year we spend together, like how, like how important the first part is yeah. to me, right? And so it's Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the Jews and he says, to the Jews who believed in him, right? Mm-hmm. To me, he says, abide in my words, abide in my teaching, right? and you will be my disciple. Right. And you'll see the truth, and mm-hmm. the truth will set you free. And when you, the word truth means like divine truth revealed to man by God. Yeah. And that word free means like I, God, liberate you. Mm-hmm. And the minute I read that, he set me free. Mm. I started seeing the world in HD. Like that's the only way I can explain it to people. It's like it went from like regular television to like high definition. Everything was vivid. Everything was colorful. I had this new um, passion for life and I was hooked. I could not stop sitting in the word. I could not stop abiding. I would, I would just weep and pray and repent of everything that I'd ever done. I would just spend time with him. I would, I would lock myself in the bathroom. I loved it was, I would sit in the bathtub and I would lock myself in the bathroom and I would just read in the tub 
And then I would, once the tub water got cold, then I knew I was done reading. Yeah. And I would close my Bible and I would turn the shower on. Yeah. And I would take a hot shower and I would just get on my knees and pray in the shower for like hours. Like I would be in there from anywhere from two to three hours. Wow. Lauren began to be like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, like I'm, he, I used to come home and just play video games. And now she's like, now he's in the bathroom. I have no idea what he's doing. Yeah. You know? And she's like, what are you doing? I'm abiding. Well, what's abiding? I'd explain it to her. Yeah. And she was kind of like, well, you're never like, again, like this is awesome, but now you're, you're still kind of absent, but now you're like, yeah, you're absent with Jesus. You're this absent time. with Jesus. And so. You know, for her, she's like, I really know how to feel about this. And so she began to, what's what we always kind of say, it's, it's caught, not taught. So Lauren begins to abide. This is very key. This is a very important thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Like when I say it's caught, not taught, I never tried to force her to abide. Yeah. I explained it to her, but because she saw me doing it, and she began to see these minor transformations, things that used to set me off, no longer set me off, mm-hmm. a different joy in me. My heart begins to kind of grow, right? And I begin to kind of love her better. She begins to kind of like, okay, there must be something to this. So she begins to get in the word. So I'm, I'm tracking forward. Um, Easter Sunday rolls around 2017. Chris gives a sermon and it's um, John three when Nicodemus is talking to Jesus and they're talking about being reborn. Yeah. Must be born again. Must be born again. And it's the very end. And Jesus says, just like the bronze serpent was lifted up in the desert by Moses. So must the son of man be lifted up. And Chris draws a connection that that was when Moses made this bronze service. So the story of this is um, Israelites are doing what they did best. They're kind of, you know, going against God, what God had asked them to do. God gets frustrated. They're grumbling in the desert. He gets frustrated. He sends poison snakes to them, right? They bite them. Mm-hmm. And so they start dying. And so Moses is like, God, surely you didn't bring them all the way out of Egypt just to bring them here in the desert to kill them. And God's like, you're right. You know? And yeah. so here's what I want you to do. Go take this bronze. I want you to make a serpent, make a pole, and I want you to set this serpent on top of the pole. And I want you to set it up on the mountain. You tell them all who look upon it will be saved. Well, bronze at that time was the purest metal they had. So it meant purity. Okay. And then they used snake for the symbolism as healing. And okay. so, but it tracking forward to what Jesus is saying is this was a rehearsal of what was to come. And so when all look upon it, mm-hmm. they became healed. And there were some there who were witnessing people being healed around them. Right. But yet they're like, mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Yeah. That sounds like rubbish. And they die because they got bit by a snake, even though they watched Steve get like bit. Yeah. And then he looked on promise and, he's, and healed. he's healed. And I'm like, nah. And, you know, I die. Yeah. And it's like, doesn't it kind of relate to the day? And so, but Jesus like, so must the son of man be lifted up and all who look upon him will be healed. And so it's a rehearsal. And at that very moment, so my affair, I never confessed to Lauren. Yeah. I believed it was my guilt. I believed it was something I was to carry as my punishment. There was a man who was a believer um, at the time. I, who I thought was a little bit more spiritually mature than me. Mm-hmm. And when I confessed it to him and told him the reason I haven't confessed it to Lauren is because I believed it was my punishment to carry this guilt to the day I die. He said, that's right. It is. Wow. And so I believed him. Right. And so it just completely created this prison for me. Right. Yeah. That very moment, the Lord speaks to me and says like, man, like you are forgiven. Yeah. Like I forgive you for that. Right. And so like you're a free man, you're a free man. Mm-hmm. And so I make Jesus Lord that day. And, um, I confess him as Lord with my mouth. Not only is he savior anymore, but he is also Lord, like absolute owner. Like I render everything over to him. Like it's his, all things are his. Um, Moik's, I kind of share with them. He's like, man, I think you're ready to be baptized. I'm like, I was already baptized once. He's like, tell me why. I was like, well, it's something you're supposed to do. He's like, right. Tell me what you just told me now. I'm like, Jesus is Lord. He's like, it's time for you to be baptized. So I was baptized, still hadn't confessed the Lord yet. Okay. The Lord told me I was forgiven, so I'm running as a free man, right? Yeah. And so 
Um, but like the word says, there's a sin that's not uncommon to mankind. I slip up and look at something I shouldn't look at that's on the internet. Yeah. And Satan didn't go for that. He went back for the big thing. Ah. And um, Chris would talk about on Tuesday nights, he would talk about this thing called come and die where you, where you die to self and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And it's, and every time he talked about it, man, that thought would come in that I had an affair and it felt like someone was stabbing me in the gut. Well, it got to the point where I could not, like I, I literally thought I was going to burst into flames. And so he asked me to come to lunch with him one day and we go to lunch and we're, we're talking and he says, how are you? And I'm like, I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. And I begin to tell him like, man, like I tell him everything. And what happened before that is I was at work and, um, this might weird some people out, but I heard the voice of the enemy. Like I heard, I heard Satan and he had told me that if I were to walk away from disciple making, if I would stop abiding, yep. that this thing that I had done would never get brought up. Mm. It would stay in the dark. No one would ever know about it. <laughs> Sounds and, like him. And he would give me freedom. Yeah. It was when the word freedom, right? And so when I say hear the voice, like in my mind, this is what was yeah, kind of playing sure. out in my mind, right? So it was this word freedom, like freedom is not yours to give. And the minute I said that out loud and went away and the Lord spoke in, said like, you've been forgiven of this thing, but till you, till you, this thing goes from the dark to the light. Like I have plans for you, but it's dragging you down. Like it's a chain the enemy is using to get a hold of you on. Like it's a stronghold he has over you. So till you confess this thing, like you, you got to confess it. I have plans for you. And so at the time I didn't know that there was word that says all things in the dark must be dragged to the light. Right. And so I go and I get what we call a learning circle, which is really kind of helps us fight for our people's freedom and yeah. our freedom. It's you start with an observation. Um, you begin to ask why root cause analysis. Why is this your observation? And then you wash them with the word. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I'm reminded of. When you said this, I was reminded of this. And there's a part of changing your mind to repent just means simply change your mind. And then we get the good news. And so uh, Chris walked me through one. He was like, what are you hearing? I'm like, man, I'm hearing that all things in the, in the dark must be dragged to light. And like, I got to confess this to my wife. I got to make it right. And, um, and so I remember saying to him that I feel like I'm about to deal this blow, like this death blow to her. And he's like, man, you already dealt the blow for the first time. You're about to address the womb. Oh, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so, um, now healing can start and now healing can start. Yeah, and so for, we, we met for four hours. So my wife calls me, I'm done with lunch with him. She's like, what did you talk to Chris about for four hours? I'm like, uh, stuff. <laughs> and she's like, well, what? it's not nothing bad, is it? And man, I'm like, I'm at that point where I'm so sick of the lies. And I'm like, yes. Well, it's not like it's about us. And you're like, yes, it is. Yeah. And so I'm a minute from the house and she goes, well, it's not like you had an affair. Oh, she did say that. Huh? She did. And I said, I did click. She yeah. hangs up. Right. So I go in. And she's sitting at her work table. She was teleworking at home. She's sitting at her desk and I would go in, I open the door. She's in tears and she turns to me. And so remember I said, she began to abide. Yeah. So the Lord began to work on her on forgiveness. And she turns to me and she says, before you say a word, I forgive you. Mm. She says, the old is gone. The new is here. Wow. That man is gone. She's like, you're a new creation and you're the man that I'm married to. Wow. Not the man of old. Yep. And she says, if you keep abiding, our marriage will be fine. Yeah. And man, from like that moment on, 
like what I thought was going to be a year long battle for my marriage, what I thought would be death. I thought I'd lose my kids, lose my wife. Yeah. What I thought was going to be sudden death for me. Like the Lord, like it was instant. Like the Lord's like, I'm here the whole time, Michael. Like I said, right. the horn is before you. Like mm-hmm. I handled this. Right. And, um, all those lies of the enemy, all that fear, yeah. all that turmoil. Right. Became ash. Became ash. Because he, the Lord, uh, is involved living as Lord in your wife's heart. Right. What was the statement? You've told it to me a few times in our lunches that she said about your your sin does not determine her identity. My identity. Right. right. Yeah. She just refuses to let the mistakes of Michael determine her identity. Right. Well, that's just a fantastic, very mature statement. Yeah. That's uh wow. So <laughs> you know, for those that are listening, I am quite sure this is hitting home for many uh, from all different sides of that spectrum um, when you're dealing with that kind of a, a sin, a misstep. Uh, it affects so many people, whether they, you know, maybe their parents growing up walked through something like that. Maybe they're walking through something like that right now. But just uh, thankful for you and your honesty. And then I'm thankful for Christ inside Lauren. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, living <laughs> intimately and triumphantly in yes. and through her heart. We have just a couple of minutes. I want to talk a little bit more about abiding. Oh, real quick, I did ask you. You are now the. Are you the associate pastor at Hera Church with with Chris Moix now, or what is your role there? Yeah. So we don't do a lot of titles, but it, um, sure. That's mm-hmm. that's probably a fair. That's probably titles what you would are say. just for communication, yeah, for, to, communication. for people to understand. Yeah. But, um, we call it co-labor of the gospel. So I'm, yeah. I'm Chris's co-labor of the gospel with him there. Yes. Yeah, so um, from that moment on, I became white hot for Jesus. Started running. Couldn't stop running. Yeah. Um, the Lord would tell me to jump. I'd say how high. Continued yep. to abide with Him, and um, three years from that moment, I found myself leaving Tinker Air Force Base. Yeah, and taking a full on role in doing ministry besides Chris, beside Chris there at a Hera Church. Church. Yeah. yeah, and so that's where I'm at now. That is fantastic. So I want to touch on. I was leading this earlier on abiding. You know, we go back to John 15. I always loved about verse five that he. He defines it for us because, you know, people do ask, like you asked Chris, well, what is abiding? He says, well, without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. So a lot of times at Grace Church, we talk about abiding is simply don't do anything apart from him. Don't do anything without him. Live connected. You know, in the Greek, it means live, remain, stay. But live connected, especially as a branch. There are no self-sourcing branches. So as a derivative being, which human beings are, we're always deriving from another, uh, then he's our life source. He's, He's our source for love. He's our source for forgiveness. I tell people all the time, let Jesus love you into loving. Let Jesus forgive you into forgiving. If you're struggling, you know, with the outflow, then as a branch, are you receiving? Because you cannot give away what you first have not received from right. him. And I always love that about verse five, though, living connected. And I tell him, include him. I had a good pastor friend <laughs> who the Lord had spoken to him. His name was Mike. He said, Mike, I want you to I want you to share with the people this Sunday morning on walking by the Spirit. And uh, he said, okay. So he preaches for over an hour. He goes, over his, you know, allotted time, if I can use that term. And when he's done, the Lord's like, what, Mike, what did you do? He said, well, I told him, you know, how to live by the spirit. He said, all I asked you to do is tell him to include me, include me. 
If you're stuck in traffic, include him. If you're getting ready to have a tough conversation with your wife, include him. Right. You know that apart from him, not only can we do nothing, apart from him, we should do nothing. And I guess on the technical side, he's in us. So even if we're out doing a big piece of stupid, he's there. He is. Not like he's leaping out of our body, running away scared. So uh, I always enjoyed that about verse five, though, for without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. Yeah. So anything else you want to add on abiding there as we kind of wrap up with John 15? Yeah. And so, you know, when you kind of dig into that word abide, it what it actually means, the definition is when two live streams come together to produce what's internal. Okay. Right? Which we know he talks about this fruit. And so one thing that always kind of stood out to me in verse five is when he says apart from me. And if you dig into that word and begin to eat it, tracing it back to what the root word means, it means like it's um, useless and rendered invalid. Gotcha. And so he's saying anything you do that's apart from Jesus Christ is yeah. rendered invalid. And so I always remember, reminded the scripture, right. And I'm always reminded of the scripture when the guys come and say, Jesus, we cast out demons, in your name, we healed the sick, in your name, right. we did this in your name. Right. And he's like, depart, depart from, from me, you wicked generation yeah, for never I never knew. knew you. So how did he not know them? Well, they weren't abiding in him. And right. so Jesus is saying like, man, like, yeah. And so there's two things playing out there. One, were they really doing it for him or were they doing it for their praise and their glory and their fame? Right. Yeah. And, and two, he's saying like, man, I didn't know you, like you weren't doing right. those things for me. Cause I don't know you weren't abiding in me. Yeah. And that's right. And the same time they're talking about works when he says like, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. Naturally it begins just to happen. And the word there is a uh, gnosko. If I remember right. right, that the word, no, right. depart from me, you never knew me. Gnosko is this intimate union term uh, referenced in the Strong's, Luke chapter 1, verse 34, that uh, when the angel had come to Mary, she said, how can this be? How can I get pregnant? For I do not know, gnosko, a man. So there's this intimate union, this intimate connection that we have with him. We've come full circle because that's what I was pointing out. I think you and I, early on in our Christian walk, as long, I mean, as well-meaning as we were, we were, we were not uh, participating with the life and spirit and right. word of Christ, you know, living by every word that proceeds out of this relationship with him. We were doing things for him, but man, you want to talk about burning out, try to be like Jesus without Jesus. Right. That is a challenge, but yet that's what I was doing for those seven years. So, well, Michael, anyway, man, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I think I'll just have you back. We'll get into some other things. We got to get into Hesed love. Yeah. Uh, my good friend Michael is the one. Those at Grace Church have heard me talk about it. I've done morning videos on it. Uh, Michael's the one who introduced that word and that term to me. So, Michael, I want to thank you again for coming on, and I'll have you back soon. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Steve. All right. Well, Father, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for the good word of God. Lord, we thank you that it's written. You yourself said it. If we will abide in your word, Lord, then we will be your disciples. We'll know the truth, and then we'll live free lives. Just pray, Lord, for each one who's listening, participating today. Lord, bless them, enrich them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.